Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Yokohama tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Buckle up. We got a wild show coming, boys and girls. Uh, My name is Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage, the most dominant sports talk morning show in the country that is rapidly exploding in growth. And that is because, my God... What a lot of craziness and zaniness we got in the world today going on. Big-time stories to get to throughout the next three hours. Let me give you a roadmap on where we're headed this hour. We are going to react to three stories that I think are pretty big. Um, One, in no particular order, the college football playoff has come out, and I think we are headed for an Ohio State versus Alabama cataclysm in terms of what it will do to the committee What did we learn from last night's college football playoff rankings to prepare for that looming conflict? Two, the Tennessee head coaching search headed down to Dallas and then Stillwater. Everybody was chasing Mike Gundy, Oklahoma State head coach. Last night, around 9.30 Eastern-ish, Mike Gundy officially announced he was staying at Oklahoma State. What is next? Big story there. Tennessee offering Mike Gundy $7 million a year, which would have made him the fourth highest paid coach in all of college football. Mike Gundy said no. What is coming next in this game of coaching carousel? One bit of news. I told you a couple of weeks ago it was going to happen. Jimbo Fisher to Texas A&M is, it appears, pretty much done. So who will Florida State be hiring to replace Jimbo Fisher Much to discuss about that. And Eli Manning has started 201, I believe the number is, consecutive football games for the New York Giants. They are 2-9, and and they have made the irrationally dumb decision to start Geno Smith to end his consecutive game streak and presumably end Eli Manning, two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback's career with the New York Giants. Why not just let him finish the season? Why not? If you really want to go to Geno Smith, go ahead and let Eli be released and potentially sign with a contending team. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars would fall all over themselves right now to sign Eli Manning to come in and lead them for the final five weeks of the season. You may think I'm crazy. I think that would be a hell of a fit this year. I think Eli would kill it with the Jacksonville Jaguars. All of that we are going to discuss. I'm going to open up the phone lines because I bet there's a lot of people who want to react to all of these shows. I'm going to go ahead and tell you now. 877-996-6369. That's 877-996-6369. No guests in hour one. I'm leaving it open for you guys and for us. Hour two, we will talk with Jeff Schwartz as we do every single Wednesday about everything that's going on in the NFL uh, coaching situation and NFL playoff situation. And we'll talk about Eli Manning, who was Jeff Schwartz's teammate 
for multiple years when he played for the New York Giants. What does he think of Eli? What does he think of the decision by the New York Giants? How are other teammates on their team together dealing with this kind of story? And what does it say about team loyalty in general that a two-time winning Super Bowl quarterback like Eli can be benched for Geno Smith? Again, Geno Smith, guys. We're not talking about a hot shot rookie that you're trying to find out whether he's any good or not. We're talking about a mediocre journeyman, no good Geno Smith, who it's clear is not the long-range future of the New York Giants franchise. Just a strange story indeed out of New York. And in hour three, we have got Lane Kiffin coming on, Florida Atlantic University head coach. What does he think about the decision by Mike Gundy not to join the Vols? Would he be interested in becoming the Tennessee coach? What about Florida State if those open up? FAU in a conference title game this weekend. We will talk about FAU versus North Texas as well. That will be at 8.20 a.m. Eastern. Lane will be with us talking about all of those situations. So make sure if you're in your car only for 10 or 15 minutes today that you are doing what millions of others are doing already. Sign up for the OutKick podcast. Just go on iTunes, search OutKick, get it streamed directly to your phone so that you can catch up with everything if you miss it. It is a great addition to your entertainment repertoire. You can listen to it in your car. You can listen to it at work. You can listen to it wherever you may need to be to make your day a little bit better. The early parts of this day are the most downloaded shows in the history of OutKick. We are exploding, as I said, in growth, and that is only going to continue. Thank you for all of that support. Okay, let's circle back around to the three big stories that I said we were going to touch on. First, let's talk about the college football playoff. I was not very surprised with the rankings that came out. A couple of interesting thoughts about them as we work through the college football playoff. First of all, number one overall team, the Clemson Tigers, 11-1. They play against Miami, who is the number seven team in the ACC title game. Your number two team, the Auburn Tigers, who have beaten two number one teams in the college football playoff uh, rankings in the last three weeks. Auburn will be playing number six, the Georgia Bulldogs, on Saturday in the SEC title game. I will be down there for that game watching in person. Should be really amazing and intriguing to see what Auburn, Georgia, looks like in that one and which SEC team will be advancing definitely to the playoff after winning the SEC championship. In the third spot, Oklahoma. 11-1 Oklahoma, which does not look like it could survive a loss to TCU and remain in the playoffs. So right now, Oklahoma is in the playoff. If nothing else changed and the Big 12 did not have a title game this year, Oklahoma would be advancing to the playoff. Instead, they are going up against TCU with only something to lose. They've already won the Big 12 title. They're the unquestioned champion. This is why I think a lot of time conference title games are unnecessary and make zero sense. Well, Oklahoma is a prime example now. All they can do is lose their playoff spot with a loss in the Big 12 title game. Nothing is more Big 12 than trying to create a conference title game to ensure that they get a team in the playoff and then they have a team in the playoff, and now they're forcing them to play an extra game, which will gain them absolutely nothing. In the four spot, the Wisconsin Badgers at 12-0. and I think it's a little bit of an intriguing example. If you are a Big Five conference team, why would you play any challenging foe out of conference? And what I mean by that is this. If you go 12-0, and and win your conference championship like Wisconsin potentially is going to do to get to 13-0, and and you're at a Big Five conference school, no matter how weak your schedule is, you are not going to get left out of the playoff. That's the lesson to me of Wisconsin. So why in the world would you ever play a challenging out-of-conference schedule? You already play your conference schedule. You play three mediocre teams out of that conference schedule. Why would Ohio State play Oklahoma? Just a frank question for for people out there. What did Ohio State gain from playing Oklahoma? If they had played a crappy team instead, if they had played a crappy, not good Oklahoma team, they would be in the playoff right now at 11-1. and 1. 
and they'd be playing against Wisconsin to go to the playoff for sure 100%. What do you gain by playing a challenging out-of-conference team? I think that's a fascinating question. In the five spot, we have got the Alabama Crimson Tide. At six, the Georgia Bulldogs. At seven, the Miami Hurricanes. And at eight, the Ohio State Buckeyes. That is basically your cutoff of potential teams that could be contending for a spot. Now, I believe that ultimately this is going to come down to 11-1 Alabama versus 11-2 Ohio State. If that happens, we are setting up for a potential recipe of disaster. I would love to hear from you guys right now. Which of these two teams do you believe deserves to be in in the four spot? All four of the people on this show, myself and my producers, Danny G and Justin in L.A., all of us believe that it should be Alabama at 11-1 and in over 11-2 and Ohio State. Also, last night, Tennessee going after Mike Gundy, taking a big swing at the Oklahoma State head coach. Look, guys, I was told on Sunday that this was going to happen. And when I was told it on Sunday, the people who told me on Sunday, I immediately texted them back. I said, I understand that Tennessee has shifted their pivot to Oklahoma State coach Mike Gundy. I said, but Mike Gundy is not going to leave Oklahoma State. This is totally a play to get him more money. People said, no, 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 he's seriously considering it. I think he might leave. Well, all day yesterday, that discussion, again, I was told on Monday it was happening again. I didn't write about it or talk about it very much because I thought it might just stay under the radar, and I thought that this was a clear example of Mike Gundy trying to get more money, better facilities, whatever you want to say that a coach is after. I didn't believe that he would leave Tennessee. Well, late last night, 9.30 Eastern, I guess not that late, he said, know what, I'm staying at Oklahoma State, and as a result, the Tennessee coaching search continues. Now, who is Tennessee going to pursue? I have been told two names. Jeff Brom, the Purdue coach, Six and six, got them to their first bowl game in five years. Um, And also, T. Martin, offensive coordinator at USC, national championship winning head football coach, uh, head, head quarterback at Tennessee back in 1998, that he would surround himself with a really good staff, that that is uh, the two names that I have been told. In addition, there are other names out there that have been reported. Chad Morris at SMU is one that is reportedly going to be a focal point of the University of Tennessee. And the other is the head coach at NC State. And that in and of itself would be intriguing as well. I think all four of those coaches, I think all four of those coaches, Dave Doran, by the way, is the head coach at NC State. I think all four of those coaches are much better than the head coach that Tennessee tried to hire on Sunday Greg Schiano. To me, this is a really intriguing situation and fascinating story. If you thought Mike Gundy was a legitimate choice, why would you have ever, and I mean ever, made the decision to try and go hire Greg Schiano? It doesn't make any sense to me. Every person out there listening to us right now would say, oh, Mike Gundy is the play here. Mike Gundy makes a lot more sense than than certainly Greg Schiano does. So I don't understand if you're willing to pay $7 million, and I think that is a massive dollar figure. I like this move by Tennessee. If Tennessee had started by saying, Mike Gundy's our top choice, we're willing to pay him $7 million, I think it would have been a fantastic way to go public with your search. There are only three schools in America that are paying their head football coach $7 million. When that number went public, I think it was a sign that Tennessee is finally willing to pay Big money to get the right guy. I guarantee you that the phone is ringing off the hook now as a lot of people all over the country suddenly said, wow, Tennessee is is paying massive amounts of money here to go out and try to get the right guy. And there aren't very many schools that can pay $7 million a year to a head football coach. Now, the challenge for Tennessee having gone public with that amount of money is how many of these guys are going to try to use Tennessee to get a raise. That's the question. That's a fascinating question. That's a, fa- a fascinating one that we don't necessarily know the answer to. All of these questions rolling together 
877-996-6369. If I were Tennessee, I would seriously consider bringing Lane Kiffin back. We'll talk to him in hour three. I would seriously consider Bobby Petrino, Mike Leach, uh, Mike Norvell. I would seriously consider all of these guys in addition to the ones that they are right now. But I think Tennessee is going to get a better coach still than what they would have had in Greg Schiano, a better fit, whether it's even Chad Morris down at SMU. Who knows who is going to end up getting this job before all is said and done. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Here is uh, the reaction of Eli Manning as he talks to the media after the decision effectively to bench him and go with Geno Smith. It's hard. It's been a hard, uh, you know, hard day to handle this, but, uh, you know, hang in there and figure it out. Hardest, hardest things you've done, you uh, It's up there, yeah. Coach Mack, uh, you know, called me in, told me that we're going to start splitting some time and that we're, uh, you know, just kind of thought it's best to give, uh, give Geno the start and, and uh, you know, I'll back him up. I'll be a good teammate. You know, I don't like it, but... Uh, for football, you handle it and uh, do, do my job. You start knowing you're going to come out of the game to keep a streak alive. Maybe that's not that's not what it's about. You know, it's not a preseason game where hey, you're going to play a you know start to the half. It's not fair. It's not fair to me. Not fair to Gino. That's not how you how you play. You know, you play to win. When you're named the you know quarterback, starting quarterback, you think it's your job to go go win the football game. You know, you're just going to play a little bit. I didn't want to. Didn't want to. You know, I didn't feel that was the right way to play. I just, I, I am blown away by this decision making. I have long said that every team should employ like a common sense fan on the staff who just sits back and says, like, this would have stopped Tennessee, for instance, from hiring Greg Schiano. I could have been that guy. I said, no, the fan base is going to revolt to this. Who, how did the Giants mishandle this so much? When you are two and nine and your team stinks and you've got a two-time Super Bowl-winning quarterback, and the guy who is backing him up is Geno Smith. We know that Geno Smith is no good. This would be... I would feel somewhat different, and I'm sure Eli would too, if they said, look, Eli, we know we got you got several years of, of, of time left. We're going to let you be released. We think that you know the Giants are a long way from contending for a Super Bowl. You deserve a chance to go try to win your third Super Bowl. We're going to start Geno Smith. We're going to release you, and you can go sign with anybody you want. That would have made sense to me if the Giants decide they don't want to stick with Eli Manning. Or I think what makes the most sense is just play the last damn five games. Let him finish, and then in the offseason, you let him go. What definitely doesn't make sense is you tell your two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback who hasn't missed a start since 2001, hey, Eli, we're going to pull you out and Geno Smith is now kind of the guy. We're going to split reps with you with Geno Smith. You know Eli has too much pride to do that. You know he respects the game too much. This is one of the most ludicrous decisions I've ever seen an NFL team make. You're pulling a franchise quarterback who won you two Super Bowls, not letting him finish his career with your team so that you can play Geno Smith. It's one of the craziest things I've ever heard of. I'm not even going to pull the guys... Because I know everybody agrees. Like, this isn't even a complicated situation. We're going to talk with Jeff Schwartz, who was a teammate of Eli Manning's and played for the New York Giants in hour two, and we'll see exactly what he thinks about that. But I just find the entire story to be absurd. And if you're out there and you're like, oh, nobody has any loyalty anymore, did you hear Eli there? If you watch that video, he's obviously holding back tears. This meant a lot to Eli Manning. Whether you like Eli Manning or not, he is a pro's pro. He's shown up and played every single day for whatever the math is, 15 years, almost 16 years. I mean, it's a long damn time. And to have it end this way, not because of injury, not because he decides to go elsewhere, the Jags, the Broncos, somewhere where he could potentially contend for a playoff berth and another championship before his career is over, this is how it ends. It's just, it's just to me indisputably dumb. There's no other way to describe it. All right, let me, uh, 877-996-6369. I will go ahead and ask, does anybody question this decision at all as in this makes sense? Jason Martin. 
No, not at all. I mean, it's this is clear cut. This is terrible. Everybody knows Gino's not going to be the future there. They want to get a look at Davis Webb to see whether or not he's the future there. But they could have gotten him in either way. It wouldn't have mattered whether or not Eli was playing. When I first thought it, when I first heard it, I'm like, oh well, maybe they don't want to get him hurt because they know the season's over. But that's not how it ended up, of course, playing out. If you release him, I did read this, if you were to release him, he would be subject to waivers. So even the Browns could then claim his contract. If he were to fail to show up, he would owe that team over $12.4 million. So that's something maybe to keep in mind. But in terms of they're going to release him in the offseason, they're going to have a top three pick likely in the NFL draft, and you would assume that they're going to draft a quarterback. I can't imagine they're going to see enough in Davis Webb to make him the future when they have a top three pick you can't afford to do that I don't think because you're not going to have enough time in my opinion at least to evaluate it the whole thing's just utterly ridiculous I think it proves Ben McAdoo doesn't know what he's doing I think we already knew that the ownership the I think what happened here is they just they just threw Ben McAdoo under the bus too because they I think this is why they decided to keep him because they can blame McAdoo for making the decision and then they fire him at the end of the year and people are like, oh, that that like the, the the franchise is using Ben McAdoo to do their dirty work, maybe something that they weren't willing to do themselves. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I have a bulging stricter stuck to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. All right, who's got the best? Where do we start? Oh, this is not good. It's not good <laughs> when I say who's got the best. Should I go? Well, I'm gonna Should jump, I- I'm gonna jump in here, but you might actually take the animal side in this story. Bullfighter gored in his testicles grabs his balls in pain is the headline. A bullfighter had a lucky escape last week after being gored in the balls during a Mexican tournament. Footage shows Luis David Adame being flung into the air when he was hit by the bull and landed on his head. It quickly became apparent that he'd been injured as he grabbed his crotch and blood started to stain his white trousers. Stewards at the event managed to distract the bull so that he could be helped out of the arena. You know what? I mean, again, I don't understand why people are surprised when we're having these bullfights and the bull actually wins. Like, if the purpose of the bullfight is to demonstrate, like, man's mastery over uh, over animals... Like, shouldn't the bull win every now and then? Otherwise, what's the point of the bullfight? I've got a story. What's that? It's like the Harlem Globetrotters. Like, why are the bull, why is the bull the perpetual Washington Generals? I think the bull's got to win every now and then. What happened to the guy's balls? Do we so, know? so he lost several pints of blood. Lucky to oh. be alive, and <laughs> he was left penetrated twelve inches up the fighter's. Can I say the word? R e c t u m. I think we could say rectum. Okay. Is that a, is that a band word? It's a I'm body. Not, it's I'm a not body sure. Area. It is a body part. He so. got the, the horn went twelve inches foot, up a his foot into his rectum. Yes. Oh, oh man! Oh. Ouch! God! I don't know how you come back from that after a twelve inch uh, twelve That's inch not rectum, the bull winning. That's not the bull winning on the last second layup. Yeah, right the there. Bull, yeah, exactly. That's not a bull. That's a that's twenty like, point blowout. Yeah, that's a knockout. I mean, that's like they didn't even play the. That the, is the a domination quarter. situation. They left the clock running on this one. It's like my 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 six year old basketball team. Like you're like, man, when are these games ever going to end? Like that is, uh, you're down like forty points with uh, a couple of minutes in. Man, I, again, I'm on the bull side, but I don't know. That doesn't sound good. So where was this? Where was this again? What country? This was in Mexico. Mexico. Think about. It. Are you confident in the doctor if you're rolling in there? <laughs> I'm sure they've seen these kind of injuries before because of all the bullfights they have there. I didn't know they had bullfights in Mexico. Yeah, they do. Uh, uh, near Mexico City. I knew they had the donkey show. Where they shows. have alcohol. The, the donkey show down in Tijuana, right? I haven't heard of the bullfights down there. I don't know. Uh, all right, so that's not a good That's not a good one. I got one for you. Uh, there was an an, an elephant was, uh, was on the road. The elephant, a man stopped his car to take a picture of the elephant. We've heard of this a couple of times now where people yep. just get out of their cars to take pictures of elephants. And, like, the elephants aren't happy. 
This was in uh, the Laturgy Forest area of, I can't even say this, the Jalpungari District. The elephant brought traffic to a grinding halt. A man named Sadiq Rahman, he's 40, a security guard, was on his way to work. He made the decision, you know what, I'm going to get out of my car and I'm going to take this picture of this elephant. And then the elephant, evidently not happy to have his picture taken, launched a vicious attack. Uh, and after 15 minutes, uh, the man was uh, was not able to recover. Uh, and if you're wondering, elephant, and this is, a, this is a real quote, elephants are common in this area. They cross the highway almost every day. The custom is no one steps out of their vehicle. Sadiq dared to confront the elephant and got killed, a forest official said. And this is amazing. According to records of the state's forest department, there have been 84 people killed by elephants in in India this past year. I think we talked about this before. 84 people is a ton of people to get killed by elephants. Nobody talks about killer elephants. Man, I, I mean, I'm nervous about going to India now. I'm definitely not riding one of those elephants. All right, anything else out there? Yeah, I got something for well, you. Yeah, go ahead, Justin. Uh, this is a, a 24-year-old British tourist. She was uh, she actually filmed herself as she was bitten by a five-foot crocodile. She was walking alongside a shallow creek in northeast Australia. It was a, a creek at Cape Tribulation, a popular coastal parkland in the state of Queensland. And uh, she, I guess she was filming this this little fish that was bouncing out of the water, and she just didn't see this crocodile coming for her. We have I have a little little clip here. They got it on on camera. Uh, it's better if you search it out to find the video yourself. But here, listen to this. Jonathan, get shred. Oh, jeez. Oh. Uh, the crocodile just got, went crocodile oh, Speculation. Now, wait, wait, wait. Speculation is on this story that the crocodile was going for the fish and had bad aim and ended up biting this woman <laughs> on the leg, which that I think is hilarious. That seems like really bad aim. Like, I don't know about the, the the success rate of the crocodile here, but if you're trying to get a fish and you bite a person instead, not an expert, but that crocodile not exactly long for the world. <laughs> There's a comment from the crocodile. Haters gonna hate. Haters gonna hate. If you, if you don't remember, <laughs> haters gonna hate is one of the greatest Animal Thunderdome stories of all time. We had the guy down in Australia who was out drinking, and he decided he was going to try to impress this cute girl. And he said, "I'm going to swim across this uh, this river." And people are like, "Don't do it. There's crocodiles in there. Don't do it, man. There's crocodiles." And he's like, "Screw you guys. I'm going to impress this girl." He jumps in, and he immediately gets attacked by a crocodile. And when he was asked about what he had to say of his about his critics who were like why did you jump in this in this river in Australia late at night when it's filled with crocodiles he said hate is gonna hate that's his direct quote one of the greatest responses ever you late night got drunk and decided to impress a girl by jumping into a river and when people were ripping you you say hate is gonna hate haters gonna hate in a perfect Australian accent all right Jason Martin what you got well, I was oh, that's that your story, story too, so I'm glad we. You well, I have one story. other one. I have one other one. If you want to stay in Australia, this one a little bit lighter. A kangaroo interrupted a track meet in Australia by dashing out onto the track in the middle of an actual race. <laughs> They've nicknamed this kangaroo Rusain Bolt officially over there right now, and this is what came over the loudspeaker as it happened. Kids and athletes, please keep away from the kangaroo and we'll let him make his way across the field as they just stopped it dead in its tracks. And again, Rusain Bolt, kind of a celebrity as of yesterday in Australia. So, so the kangaroo, the, the race is the track race is going on. This kangaroo shows up in the middle of it. So they just go back and restart the race? They just stopped the race, and I guess but, they would have just restarted it. You can't just yeah, go right. back in the middle just, like, of the race. You can't just go freeze and like have everybody stop and then wait till the kangaroo goes, and then you're like, okay, you guys can start again. They had to go back and redo it, right? Yeah, you would you would think so. Maybe maybe he had some money on the race, didn't like oh. how it was going, and can, found can, his way to stop it. Can you imagine being the guy who like just gave his all for the start of the, the, the start of the race, and then he's like, I'm not a not not a kind of guy who likes to make excuses, but I would have won. Except for the fact that the kangaroo came out came out on the track. <laughs> well, you don't want to mess thing, with the kangaroo. The way, we know this. If you had a lot of money on this and like somebody was in the lead by a substantial margin and then the kangaroo just shows up and they have to stop the race and restart it and then you end up losing it, I don't know what the odds makers were saying about this, but this is pretty crazy. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. 
Catch all of our shows at FoxSportsRadio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Guy's going to join us now, uh, my guy Lane Kiffin. You can follow him on Twitter. He's become a star there, at Lane underscore Kiffin. And i got to start off with this. We scheduled this interview uh, a week ago because I was like, man, we got to talk to you in advance of this game against North Texas after you went ahead and got the team to 9-3. and three. So let me start here. You've got a Conference USA title game, Lane. We were going to talk about that. And obviously, it's a huge success story. If I had told you early this season, when you came on before the year started, hey, you're going to go 9-3 and three in Conference USA, and you're going to be hosting a conference title game in Boca Raton at FAU in your first year, what would you have said? Well, I've been pretty excited, first off. Um, you know, especially after starting 1-3, and three, you know, and it took some time. And I kind of look at it, we're an expansion team. You know, we took a lot of kids, um, you know, with 30-some new kids, almost half our team was brand new so I knew we'd probably start a little bit slow and so I could see us you know getting the conference championship game uh, at eight no I don't know that I would have seen the scores you know most of these games haven't even been close so um it's really a to credit to the last staff they left us some really good players and and a credit to these players you know for playing really well and it's a really young team surprisingly almost all returned so um it's exciting and noon on Saturday going to be on ESPN for the conference championship at home uh, this place is is going crazy. What uh, is working so well with your offense? Now, I'm not an X's and O's guy, but I love watching your team play because I have no idea what I'm going to see from one moment to the next. And it seems like you have melded with Kendall Bryles a lot of the Baylor philosophy to be able to stretch the field, but also still kind of use the kind of pro-style offensive concepts that you have run and have had success with over the years. What's worked so well with this offense melding? Well, I used to think, I used to kind of think, I used to watch like, you know, the Baylors, I call it like the warp speed, you know, and Oregon for years playing against Chip out there. And I said, what if, I always thought, what if you took that warp speed, but then you added what I call like problem plays, like, you know, when what you would see when I was at USC or Alabama, you know, the last years with all the, all the motions and sweeps and all the stuff and exotic formations and quarterback runs. What if you combine the two, you know, what would, you know, you know, what would it look like? And so, We've done that, and it's just been it's just been really fun to watch. It, it gives us, you know, it gives defenses a lot of problems. You know, last time we played this team, you know, eight hundred and four yards. So, um, I just love the combination of it, and it's really it's come together unbelievable. And um, and we got some great players executing it. We're talking to Lane Kiffin, FAU coach. He's in the Conference USA title game against North Texas that he's hosting in his home stadium down there in Boca Raton. What kind of excitement do you feel on the campus with your team going from 3-9 and nine to 9-3, nine and 8-0 in the Conference USA? I think it's totally different. You know, I've been fortunate to be at, you know, what I consider, you know, probably top 10 jobs in America, you know, Alabama, Tennessee, and USC. So, you know, the, the expectations there, you know, there, there's trophies everywhere and, and and Heisman's and all those things. And, and you come here and, you know, they haven't done anything, you know, they, they haven't been to, <clears throat> they haven't been a bowl game in 10 years. So just getting to a bowl game was like amazing for, for the community and for the kids, you know, and that was mid season that we did that. So um, it's, it's just a different feeling. You know, I compared it, you know, the other week to, and you give a present to, you know, a kid that has nothing comes from nothing. You know, they're so excited for that one present they get on Christmas versus, you know, kids that are, you know, have 20 presents under the tree. You know, it's just a different reaction. So it's, it's been awesome to see. We're talking to Lane Kiffin. Lane, you were in, you mentioned the jobs you had before USC. In particular, Chip Kelly just took the job at UCLA, and you mentioned his offense at Oregon and watching it and learning from it some. How do you think Chip Kelly will do at UCLA? How good of a hire was that for the Bruins, even though you're a Trojan guy? I think it's um uh, I think it's an A plus plus. I think um <clears throat> Chip would have been great anywhere, um, because he just understands the college game so well. I, I call him from time to time to ask him questions. He came out to Alabama before uh before the year when we won the national championship. Um right before spent some time with him just learning stuff. So um <clears throat> he's just so far ahead of most people, uh very intelligent. So and going back there, too, you know, he would have done great in SEC, but just knowing Chip, I'm sure that he wanted to be in that more, you know, the Pac-12 and, and L.A. type of lifestyle, a little bit different, you know, you know, kind of fits him, I think, a little bit more than, than the SEC. Yeah, and I, I'm curious about that from your perspective, because you were at SC and then you came to Tennessee. 
And at SC, you know, you're and even when you're the Raiders coach, you're in the, the Bay Area. You're also in LA. Like you're famous because you're a football coach, but you're not that famous relative to all the other people that are there. And then you come to Tennessee, and I've described it as like suddenly you're the Pope of a state, right? Like every baby wants to be kissed. There's a lot of different responsibility. Every restaurant that you go to, you are the celebrity in the state or in the city. How much of a different experience was that for you, and how much do you think that potentially factored in for Chip Kelly? Well, it's funny you say that, Clay, because somebody sent me, I think a week or two, you did Did you do an interview basically talking about that? Yeah, 100%. And and, and they sent it to me, and they said, I said, I, they said, I bet you're the one person that can really understand this. And, you know, you were referencing that, and Chip, where he would go, and you were right on. And it's totally different. Um, you know, you go in L.A., like, no, nobody, you know, it's like Kobe Bryant's at the table next to you. No, nobody knows who <laughs> who yes. Lane Kiffin is, so they don't bother you. They don't know anything, and it's not that there's anything wrong with the SEC in Alabama, Tennessee. It's nothing wrong. It's actually a great thing because the fans are so passionate that everyone knows you. Like, like when I I just I had no experience in it, so when I went to Tennessee, I was just I'm coming from Raiders, I'm coming from USC, like, and I'm just in shock of like, I mean that you know. There's like six year old kids like know my name. And I remember going to, I remember going into a high school recruiting and they stopped the school. Like the school shut down. And like the nine year old like the nine nine year old or sorry, ninth grade like girls, not just boys, girls like wanted your autograph and knew who you were as the head coach of Tennessee. So it's an awesome thing. You just gotta um expect it, I guess. And I just didn't know anything about it. So it's not that it was bad. I just kind of sheltered up and I just went, didn't go anywhere. I just stayed in my office and worked all the time and, you know, uh, you know, didn't go to gas stations, restaurants, anything. And, and so you said, well, why? Cause I remember, you know, it was Landry's birthday. We go to a restaurant and we're opening presents with our grandparents and stuff. And I, I can't even like watch her open the present because people are coming up and not wait until you're done. Like, Hey coach, can we get our picture made with you? You know, and pulling you away. And so that just to me was so foreign it just took a while to get used to. And then, you know, after being in Alabama, you know, I, I kind of just got used to it and you just understand it is what it is. You know, it's fascinating that you bring that up because you're a 32, 33-year-old guy, whatever you are, when you get to Tennessee and it's a new kind of cultural construct almost. And you're talking about, like, everybody knows you. You know, six-year-old kid, like every kid, boy and girl in a high school campus. Whereas if you're at SC, you come and recruit and you're just kind of a guy. And in, in the SEC, like, you are kind of the focal point of the entire region. How do you think you'd handle that differently now if you now that you've had a decade of experience and you kind of have experienced that with going with Nick Saban and everybody else? Like, how does Saban ha- handle it at Alabama? Because he's, I mean, he is the most famous person in, in, in probably almost the entire South now, but certainly in the state of Alabama. Like, he can't stop in a gas station and, and fill his own gas tank up without having to talk to 100 people. When I was, um, when I was hired at Tennessee, I remember sitting there um, – the night before i think and jimmy sexton mike hamilton are sitting there and they're like we don't think you know what's happening and i'm like well what do you mean like head coach of the raiders no we don't think you understand what's happening tomorrow tomorrow you are going to be the second most famous person in the state of tennessee I'm like what are you talking about there's mayor you know all the people in tennessee you know you got nashville they're like no it'll be dolly parton and then you You're the second <laughs> And, a great I like, line. and I really didn't know, I really didn't understand that, but it is true. And, um, but it's really neat. Once you just realize that it's just passion. I mean, it's all they want to do is win all they want to. And so, like you said, why, where would you be different now? Now you understand. And I was like this at Alabama, like you take the time, you know, to sign every autograph, you take the time to take every picture, like, because you realize like you're making that kid or that dad or that mom, you know, you're making their year because you took, you know, 10 seconds to do it. Yeah. That's, it, that's, you, how, that's how I was at Alabama. <clears throat> but then you get criticized for it too. I've always said this too. You know, I've always been the one to, okay, I'll take every picture or whatever, but then the pictures are fine. You know, if they're little kids, if they're old parents, if they're college boys, but as soon as the college girl, then you get killed that, Oh, he's taking pictures of the college girl. So you can't win. Cause if you don't, then people say, what a jerk, you know, he snubbed us and it wouldn't even take a picture. So is what it is. It's funny you mentioned that, Lane, because my yeah. wife, like, uh, she said, how come when pictures of you, like, get circulated on the internet, Clay, they're always with good-looking girls? And I said, you know, first of all, I have to lead the nation. I mean this honestly. 
with guys who come up to me with good-looking girlfriends and the guys want to get their picture taken with me and they have their girl like take the picture, right? The girls are used to being in pictures. Very rare. Like, they don't even know how to hold cameras. Like Good-looking girls, they don't even know how to hold cameras because they're used to always having their picture taken as opposed. But every time a good-looking girl is in a picture with you, it circulates on the internet like crazy because people are like, oh, look at, look at so-and-so with this good-looking girl, right? And I'll be honest. When I see a picture of Lane Kiffin, if it's with like some random college guy, I'm like, whatever. If it's with two hot girls, I'm like, good move, Lane. Like, that's the Joey Freshwater I'd like to, <laughs> like to appreciate, right? But that's what circulates. Yeah, and I, I've said that before, you know, like, um, you know, as athletic director or whatever, I said, and I, I tell him right away, all right, <clears throat> you have this Kiffin factor, all right? It is what it is. Whatever I do is going to get blown up times 100, and usually it's going to be really negative. And they understand because – because the good part of it is all the attention that you get on your program, and that helps in recruiting. That helps in um, as crazy as that sounds. It helps in out of state enrollment. Once your program starts winning, all that attention. Ours, ours just since we got here, our out of state um, applications have gone up thirty five percent. And know, so you. for a president, that's a that's a dream come true. That's that's why you, that's why you know that's a big part of why why decision that you make of hiring a coach. So I tell them there's that factor that <clears throat> you're you're the president. So I can take a picture with no, and then around town and around campus, you're going to hear what a jerk I am and how you know arrogant I am. That I don't take pictures, or I can take pictures of all of them, and the kids will love it and the community will love it. But you're going to get a few of them where people are going to you know post them and say, "Oh, well, look, it's a pretty girl, so that means that he's hanging out with her." It is fascinating how that works. We're talking with Lane Kiffin, FAU head coach. He's playing Saturday. His team, 9-3, and three, hosting North Texas for the Conference USA Championship. They have won, I believe, eight games in a row. Uh, Lane, the college football playoff rankings came out last night. Uh, top four, uh, off the top of my head, if I don't screw it up, Clemson one, Auburn two, Oklahoma three, and Wisconsin four. Alabama now is in the five spot. Did you get a Crap, chance we at all? <laughs> yeah, you I guys missed it. it. We, we weren't in it? Yeah, you guys are not in the playoff right now. So uh, you uh, you saw – I know you know the Iron Bowl happened. You had an opportunity to coach in a couple of those. Uh, what did you see or what have you seen of Auburn and their offense and the success Gus Malzahn has had? And what did you think about that game against Alabama? In your mind, what happened in that performance for the Tide and for Auburn? Well, I didn't see play-by-play, um, you know, every single play. We were actually traveling back um, – after a win and so it was on the team bus we put it on and so i saw parts of it um first off probably the most exciting rivalry game in america you know it's been being part of it for three of them and being fortunate to win all three it was awesome um and i think you know i think it goes to show you like always how important a quarterback is you know Look at Auburn last year versus this year. You know, when you have a really good quarterback, you know, we become really good head coaches. And when you don't, you know, like when Matt Barkley got hurt, all of a sudden, you know, I was a bad coach. So it, it, your quarterback has, it's always so important. And, and, you know, Stim's playing great. You know, it's a great quarterback and playing really well. And they did a great job. And, and, you know, I think the toll of, of Alabama, you know, I don't think it's any secret. You don't want to play Alabama at the beginning of the year. If Alabama Auburn would have played the first game of the year, Alabama won by 21 points, but the toll of that season and, and Coach Saban and, and it works. That's why he wins a ton of games. But but you don't want to play you don't want to play them early when they're fresh. Now when they get beat down and worn down by the end of the year, you got a chance, and that's where you know the two a couple Iron Bowls you know the, this year and then whatever it was four years ago and then the bowl games you know where people have been able to really move the ball and the defense looks tired that you know has shown up. But um, two really good teams. Gus has done a great job and. <clears throat> Um, Kevin Steele really has a defense playing great. And so, um, you know, I would think it'd be hard not to say that right now, take away records, but who who is the number one team that you would not want to play? It'd be Auburn. You said something interesting. You've talked about this before. Pete Carroll was not as physical in the way that he would run his practices, I think it's fair to say. And a lot of times that meant by the end of the year, maybe SC had a little bit more gas in the tank, but they don't start as hot. Saban more physical. Do you think that that kind of is what happens there as the season progresses, that the physicality a lot of time catches up with Alabama by the end of the year and they just that, that's the, the simple truth? As, as talented as they are, they just don't have as much gas in the tank? Yeah, I've been I've been fortunate to obviously be with both coaches, win national championships with both coaches, to see both ways. And the way I've always said it is you do not want to play Nick Saban at the beginning of the year because his fourth quarter program, his spring ball, his fall camp, I mean, it, it is like 
you know, what they used to do 30 years ago, you know, and so the teams are so ready. That's why I think about all those openers. Two years ago, we played USC, who ended up being a top five team, beat them 52 to six. You know, I think the year before, you know, we crushed Wisconsin. You know, you don't want to play them at the beginning of the year. Pete Carroll, remember, every once in a while, you kind of have that Oregon State game early or something, you know, where there'd be close games or you'd lose one early. But then he went, I think, when we were there, I think at one point we went six years, never losing in the month of November. And then he goes five and one in bowl games in six straight BCS games. And the only one is when Vince Young's Superman that day. And the other ones, they're blowouts, 55-19, you know, to Oklahoma to be national champs. So it's just two different philosophies. And I think it's very obvious when you see, you know, look at Nick Saban, the greatest coach in the history of college football. And don't play him at the beginning of the year, but now bowl games in his career, I think he's like two games over 500, you know. So it's just different philosophies. All right, Lane, straight up. I'd like for you to be the next coach at Tennessee. I think a lot of fans would. If right now you polled the University of Tennessee fan base, they would say, I know how it ended. There were a couple of mattresses that got burned. He left us for USC. But if you look objectively at the resumes available of coaching candidates out there, you've studied under Nick Saban. You've studied under Pete Carroll. You go back and you look at your tender at SC. And by the way, given the probation, actually looks really good with your winning percentage there. You beat the crap out of Georgia and South Carolina in Knoxville, came within a missed field goal by Mount Cody, which, by the way, do you ever think about that play, uh, that field goal that uh, that got blocked on the final play of the game, the year that Alabama won their first national championship? That was an incredibly good Alabama team you nearly beat. And I think you told Nick Saban at midfield, which I bet he kind of respected, tell me if this is true or not, we'll get you next year. Uh, what about this Tennessee job? Have you been paying attention to it? Last night, Mike Gundy gets offered $7 million a year and turns it down. What does Tennessee need to do, and will you save the program? Well, you gave me about five questions. There. <laughs> <laughs> I got to make my I'm pitch, not, man. I got to get in the room. Smart, it's like, like recruiting. Okay, so, so let me try to go through all of them. The Mount Cody, yes, I think about that because, and I, I don't know if you did it on purpose, but when you walked to my office at Alabama for three years, on the left is a huge picture of that kick being blocked. So I had to see it every <laughs> single, twice a day, in the way in and the way out. So I think Coach was reminding me of that. Uh, the other question about what I said, I told him, I said, that's the last time that you'll ever beat me. So I told You Coach told Saban Nick Saban at halftime right after that, that's the last time you'll ever beat me. Right after the game, yeah. After the oh, game. that's amazing. When the and what did he say? Uh, he didn't say anything. I think he was just like, <laughs> I think he was like, uh, I just think he was so excited that they somehow won, beat us, and they didn't even score a touchdown the whole day. But yeah, yeah that's a different story. That's an amazing and, line. And I they, haven't even heard that. Had, that's an amazing and, line. And there were eight penalties called against us and one against them, but we won't go there. <laughs> so um, the last question, Tennessee, I have not – this is going to sound crazy. <clears throat> I have not thought very much about the Tennessee job because <clears throat> when it came open, um, my agent is Jimmy Sexton, um, same as Shiano, same as Philip Fulmer, same as Spurrier, almost everybody. So um, when John Curry called him, you know, and said, okay, here's who I want to talk to, you know, and he, and he mentioned, well, what about Lane Kiffin? John, you know, didn't express any interest. So I, I've not, as much as you think I probably think about it, I've not thought about it because obviously, you know, and I respect it. Everybody has their own people that they want. John Curry, you know, obviously isn't interested. So um, there's not much to think about. So, so Jimmy Sexton, who I, I have a good relationship with and obviously is a really talented, smart dude, represents a lot of different people. And when he talked to John Curry, John Curry said, you know, I want to talk to Greg Schiano. I want to talk to all these. I mean, again, Jimmy Sexton represents a lot of guys, and John Curry specifically has not said that he wants to talk to you. If he did, would you talk to him? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I always talk to people, and and um, you know, no matter where it is, and and I did that here. You know, I think that's a good lesson for for everyone, uh, not just coaches. You know, when people want to talk to you, you never know what's going to happen. When I when I first, um, you know, FAU called, and I was like, oh, I don't know FAU. I didn't know much about it. I really didn't. Probably like you didn't even really know where it was. But I said, you know, I'm, I always talk to people. So I took an interview with them, sat down with them. Um, they had the president there, the athletic director there. They had, you know, three kind of the big money people. And by the time I walked out of there, I said, I want to go there. You know, it's kind of like a kid, you know, these kids in recruiting. They may think they don't want to go to a certain school, but all of a sudden the coach comes in and sells, sells this program. And they start learning more about it, and they change their mind of what they want to do. So um, just a good lesson to all of you always you know talk to people and again you learn things in those interviews and someday that guy may be an ad somewhere else or something like that so i think you always always listen to people 
you're still an incredibly young guy, despite the fact that it seems like you've been around forever. Do you feel like an old guy because of how many different battles you've been through at this point? Yeah, I do feel. I feel very old. Uh, <laughs> um, it's like dog years or something. And and when I said, which I killed for for the like everything that I say, when I said that you know working for Coach Saban, there was like dog years. You know, the three years was like twenty one years. What I meant was you learn so much from him that it is incredible. You know, there's not a day go by that there's not something that I don't in my head go, what would Coach Saban do? And usually copy what he would do in, in most of the situations. But everybody thought, everybody twisted that I was saying, you know, it's so hard to work there that it was like every year was like seven years. It's not what I meant. Lane, I know you got to get ready for that Conference USA title game. If I were AD, you'd be the next coach at Tennessee. Hopefully the idiot AD at Tennessee will give you a call. Thanks for the time, my man. All right, man. Have a great weekend. See you guys. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.